Good morning. Okay, this is not going to happen. You guys cannot. I don't know where everybody is, but you are here and you matter to me, so you need to come closer. Come on, up, move closer. You guys over here, you guys over here. Come on. Move. Yes. Yes, this is not going to, that's just not going to work for me. We need some body heat. You need body heat next to you, right? Kevin, his wife has been gone for two weeks, three weeks, how many weeks? Since the 28th of uh, November? Oh, just December. Look, there's no one sitting next to him. Anthony, go sit next to Kevin. Give him some body heat. Aaron, move up. Come on. Come on, Aaron. She's coming back. She's been in India. Okay. Now, let's see. That's a little bit better. Some of you didn't cooperate. What was that? Jamie, Adrian, come on. Come on, move up. That's right. Oh, look at the front seat. Wow. Yeah, I think the Terry, come on, Terry. Happy birthday, Terry. Come on up. Come sit next to some of you know. Do you know Dorothy? Terry? Okay. All right. Oh, that feels better. Doesn't that feel better? It does. Okay. It feels better for me, and that matters. That's all that matters. My world is better. <laughs> That's okay. Hello, I am Clara, and um, I am so glad to be back. I have been sick for a really long time. Oh my goodness! I know some of you have been sick for a long time, but I'm back. I think since December 26, I have been off and on, spending most of my time in bed by myself, which is not the way I like it. <laughs> but there you go. But while I was there, I had some lucid moments, and I got to do some of the couple things I love to do, which is read. I got to read a lot, and I got to pray a lot. And so as I was praying, I was asking some of these things to God. Lord, what are you doing in our church? And Lord, how do you want our church to advance your kingdom? And what's my part in helping us? So um, some of the things I heard and sensed in prayer, and remember I was in and out of delirium, <laughs> were so otherly and so big that it was going to take and is going to take a lot more than who I am and what I be to get us there. And um, so sometimes when that happens, you st I stand, tend to start to lose sight of who's the center of everything, God. And I got to thinking about we little myself, and I cried out, Oh, God, oh, God, how are you going to do this? What your desire is beyond anything I or we can do. So by Monday, the antibiotics started to kick in, and I started feeling a little less fuzzy in the head. And so I started looking over the passage that we were going to study, you know, learn and study for t this morning, and I start cracking up. Uh, I just thought, Lord, you definitely have a plan. You have a plan. You have a means. And you are working in me as a leader, and you're working in us. So I thought that was pretty fun. So in a book called Reviving Leadership, this is how the book begins. It's kind of heady, but you'll, the words are up there, so you'll be able to read alongside with me. Talk about leadership abounds today. Voices in many side deplore its absence or mediocrity, betrayal, or corruption. The young are suspicious of it. The middle-aged tend to resent it, and the elderly long for it. Articles in newspapers, magazines, materials, surveys, and reports, and titles of popular and serious books highlight leadership as its era's most important issue. 
A growing band of consultants offer advice on developing it. Every year, a regular round of seminars, workshops, and conferences feature well-known experts in the field. It would seem then that leadership has become a dominating theme of our culture, one of its pivotal concerns. Uh, you ever wondered why leadership is such a big deal in our culture today? I mean, why are there so many consultant firms and why so many books? And I'm thinking that possibly we've lost our way as regards to leadership. Maybe our view of a real leader uh, needs rescuing, needs a makeover, needs some transformation. How biblical is our opinion or view of a real leader? Does it look more like what we expect from a CEO of a profit organization or the president of a big company? Or does it look more like our leader, Jesus Christ? I mean, in times of trouble and crisis and change, what is it that we want in a leader? After the attack of the World Trade Center, we wanted a very decisive leader to get us going somewhere and figuring out what to do during our crises. I mean, right now we're experiencing a fiscal crisis, right? And we're wondering what in the world is the government doing spending so much money? What is it that we want in a leader? Uh, there's a lot of, lot of infamous information advertised regularly of how leaders have failed us. And it's going to be challenging for us to trust leadership again. I mean, think of people that we've entrusted a lot of responsibility in government, in schools, athletic activities, even in the religious realm. Of we find and know of a lot of shocking crimes, sexual, financial, that have been done by leaders to have a lot of responsibility. So I'm just going to state a few. As I was doing some research, Heritage USA, 2,300-acre Christian theme park, water park, and residential complex built in the 70s. It was shut down less than 20 years after it was built due to sexual and financial scandals connected to the founders. Presidential scandal, 1998 where the phrase, it depends on what you mean by, became infamous. Enron scandal revealed in 2001, which eventually led to the bankruptcy of the corporation. And then Penn State, that just got disclosed last year and completed in October of last year, child sex abuse scandal released a year ago against the university football coach. I mean, we need leaders. Of course, there's always been good, faithful leaders. They're just not in the newspapers, right? It's not what people are talking about. You know, I made a decision to become a Christian when I was 18 years old, very, very long time ago. And up until then, I was raised a nominal Christian. Okay, that means I went to church off and on and really didn't get anything out of it. Didn't even know why I was going. But my first pastor who baptized me when I was 18 years old as a believer he was an amazing man. He lived a very simple life. He was one of seven kids. His dad would sell and repair shoes on Pico Boulevard in Los Angeles. And he was married to one woman named Audrey, 55 years old, 55 years married. And he served at Montrose Community Church from 1947 to 1979, 32 years, very faithfully. 
And my pastor was known in the community as the man who would walk Montrose streets and pass out the church bulletin telling them about Jesus. And he faithfully pastored our little church, devoted to Christ, his church, and his cause. Now, when I met him, he was in his late 50s, and I joined the church in 1975. And at the time, it was a church of size 50, maximum 60 people. Not too different from this one. And our youth group was sizable for the church. It was a significant portion of the church. But in that year alone, that one year that I was there in 1975, 10 of the youth all decided they wanted to go into full-time ministry and be missionaries. That was 20% of the church. It was because this man, this pastor, really impacted our lives and really made a difference. His verse for his life was this one, Mark 10, 44 to 45. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. He lived this verse, and I saw it. So when people talk to me about their previous pastors being somebody who was greedy or demanded that things be done his way or her way, or that they were involved in being unfaithful to their spouse, I think about my first pastor, Charles Benson. Now, we've been in a series for quite a long time on First Peter. And uh, we talk, called it, This Is Not Our Home. And as I mentioned before, the people of First Peter uh, were folks who were under a lot of persecution. They were under a lot of pressure to conform and to become like everybody else. A lot of demands by their family and their community to fit in. And Peter encouraged them and encourages us, you're not like everybody else. You're not going to fit in and it's okay. Because God loves you. And God's in you. And he's called you for something much greater than what the world has to offer. So that was good. And actually, we're going to finish First Peter next Sunday been a long track but we're going to be done with it next Sunday we don't fit in we're not part of the mainstream we're resident aliens and so as Christians and as Christian students married not married Christian employee Christian employer young old follower leader we're different and so we're going to live a little bit differently so let's pray Holy Spirit, you're, you're here this morning. <laughs> Surprise. And you're prepared our hearts. And you are inviting us and wooing us to be like your son. And I thank you, Lord, for what your desire or design is for us and what you're about and what everything's unto. I pray for your strength and your empowerment this morning. Lord, that the things that we talk about, that I talk about, Lord, um, would be your heart. And Lord, that we would be changed. That this morning's pause, this, this time together, Lord, would um, prepare us 
and change us, that we may be like your son all week long. Father, thank you for Peter, for that courageous man that wrote this little book. And may its words that you inspired him to give inspire us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 to 3. Well, let's read it out loud together, okay? To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, before you cue me out because you say, well, I'm not an elder, whatever that is in the church. I'm not a pastor, so obviously this morning's talk is not about me. I wish I'd stayed in bed, okay? I want you to do something, and it may, it's not going to be anything crazy. It's not going to embarrass you. You're not even going to say anything to anybody, okay? You just got to follow directions, okay? And I'm going to ask some questions, and when I ask the question, if it describes you, I want you to stand up and stay standing until I tell you to sit down. It won't be long. Okay, you ready? So if I say something that describes you, please stand and stay standing. If you're a board member of this church, would you stand up? We're missing some. Mm -hmm. If you are presently or ever were a community group pastor of this church, would you stand up? If you are presently or ever were on the worship team in this church, would you stand up? If you are or have been a children's ministry director or teacher or helper in children's ministry, would you stand up? If you've ever served in capacities like a computer tech, PowerPoint, sound, lighting, please stand up. You guys are standing back there too? Good. If you are a leader in our community group, our community, such as in a college campus ministry or high school, would you stand up? You don't you don't lead in university? Oh, sorry, I didn't use the staff word. That I think that's the point. Okay. If you've ever prayed for a person inside this church or outside this church, would you stand up? If you've ever given counsel or godly advice to a person in need or crisis, would you stand up? Madison, you should be standing because you've said some very wise things to me. If you have ever been a supervisor, a manager, had people report to you, would you stand up? If you've ever been trained or ever trained someone to do something, it doesn't have to be complicated, something simple, would you stand up? You guys need to turn around and look at each other. I have one more question. Don't sit down yet. Is there anyone over 10 that is not standing that is still alive? <laughs> okay, you can sit down. We're a church full of leaders. 
So when I talk this morning about leadership, you don't cue out. Don't turn me off. Don't turn off the Holy Spirit. He's talking to you, and he wants to make this morning very personal. He's encouraging us through Peter's encouragement that we're leaders. Yes, he uses the word elder. Yes, I could have used the word staff or paid or title or ordained or something. But he's talking to all of us. Otherwise, he was talking to a very few people in his audience. And otherwise, I'm talking to a very few people in this audience. I don't want us to miss what I think is God's heart and what was Peter's heart for this book. So I want us to broaden our playing field and make today's message very relevant to us personally. Peter is instructing the elders of the church. He is addressing the leaders in the church. And he is addressing the leaders of the church. But my conviction and my belief is that whether we're in or out, we're leaders. And so let's approach this morning's topic and let's ask our questions as I go to talk. What would a leader who is a resident alien look like? What would a Christian look like? And friends, more importantly, what does it look like for me, who stood up this morning, what would it look like for me to be a leader? And I want us from this point on to apply all my comments, not beyond paid, ordained, titled leaders in the church, and listen to me this morning and to the Holy Spirit, because you either have been, are, or will be a leader. And let's allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us in a very personal way. Okay, so to make today's talk a little bit easier, I'm going to uh, use the word Christian leader so you can easily connect with the message instead of using all the other terms that, are in, that we could use. So verse 1, what is a Christian leader? To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. So the term elder was borrowed from the Jewish synagogues. And it usually referred to, peop to men who were older and who were wiser and good leaders. So the New Testament borrows this term, even though it's from Judaism, borrows the term elder, but he's not limited to just older men. It's more about character. You know, for instance, Timothy was called an elder, and he was a young man. So the issue for the New Testament understanding of elder is one of character, one whose evidence, integrity, and faithfulness. Now, sometimes different words are used in the New Testament when we're talking about leaders. They'll talk about bishop, they'll talk about shepherd, overseer, elder, pastor. And within the church history, those titles have caused a lot of riff and a lot of splits. And you have to use the right words or you can't be a part of this church. And I think we kind of miss something really obvious when that happens. We miss the point that Jesus was not really into titles. Didn't really care if your name had the word staff behind it or pastor or reverend in the front of it. In fact, he talked to a group of guys who really, really liked titles, and this is what he said to them in Matthew 23. They, the Pharisees, love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have people call them rabbi. But you're not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you're all brothers. 
And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he's in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. So Jesus thought titles were at best irrelevant and at worst harmful and caused pride. And this has been my experience. The less we experience God in a church, the less real God seems to be in a church, the more it seems that I see titles and rituals and formalities. Like they have to lean on something because the God, it seems void. And it seems that the more I see real experience of God in a church, the part of leadership is on the character. A lot less importance on titles. So what are some of the qualities of a Christian leader or a resident alien leader? I think, first of all, they have to be willing to pay the price. Let's look at verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering. I mean, Peter knew about suffering. He was clearly still alive when he wrote this, so he hadn't been martyred yet. But he saw his leader, Jesus Christ, whipped and nailed to a cross. So he knew about suffering. And, you know, Jesus is 18. A lot of them had been flogged already and whipped and incarcerated by this time. So Peter understood suffering. He definitely knew that the Gentile Christians, because we've been talking about suffering for a long time, understood suffering. He knew that firsthand they knew. I mean, they were people, remember, they were slaves. They were women. They were the poor. They were marginalized. There were a few wealthy among them. But they had been ostracized and ridiculed. And where it was legal, they had been physically abused. So to be part of being an elder leader is to remember our Savior who endured the cross. That's why we have one father, one rabbi, one teacher. Where we're supposed to get our source is Jesus. Now what happens is sometimes we put our view off of Jesus when we put it on a youth pastor, a pastor, our spouse, somebody, and they fail us. And then we just get all messed up. And we leave walking with God because this person failed us. And God said, no, that's screwy. That's really screwy, y'all. The one father, the one teacher, the one leader is me. Now, if you look at me, I'm not going to disappoint you. Because you know what? I'm a servant. I'm all about serving you. So first of all, we as Christians understand that the ultimate leader is Jesus. And we're to look to him. And he was a suffering servant. Now, uh, this is key for true leadership versus a mere employer, employee. A mere employee, when they see things are getting difficult, not looking good, they head off to greener pastures. But Christian leaders, spouses, parents, pastors, true shepherds are willing to stay and pay the price. You know, great leaders like Dr. King, Nelson Mandela, Mother Lisa, Helen Roosevelt, they were willing to pay the price of leadership. Okay, what are the functions of a Christian leader? Verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. So in order to not disconnect this morning, I want you to put your name in front of this verse. Okay, so it would be something like Celeste, be a shepherd of God's flock. 
Madison, be a shepherd of God's flock. Carrie, be a shepherd of God's flock. Joshua, be a shepherd of God's flock. Okay? Put your name in the blank. Right there. Your name is there. Your name, be a shepherd of God's flock. Well, God's flock? I don't have a flock. I'm not a community group. I'm not a ministry director in this church. What are you talking about, Clara? Listen to this. A flock is whomever God has placed in your sphere of influence. Let's say that together. A flock is whomever God has placed in your sphere of influence. Okay, now I want you to change the pronoun to a flock is whomever God has placed in my sphere of influence. Can we do that? A flock is whomever God has placed in my sphere of influence. Whoever you have responsibility for, to lead, to serve, to provide, to guide, they are your flock. They be your flock. Megan, your friends at school, they be your flock. Sometimes your sister is your flock, right? Terry, when you're flipping the hamburger or giving money at the cashier register, the person who's right in front of you, they be your flock. The people you're working with, they be your flock. It's tempting to spiritualize the scriptures, right? It's a lot more convenient when we can say elder, that's not me, right? But 1 Peter is about as practical a book as you're going to get out of the New Testament. James is another real practical one. Proverbs is another real practical book. And so we can't spiritualize 1 Peter. He is very nuts and bolts. He's of the how-to genre. That's very popular. Peter makes it really simple here. Jesus is in us. He's living through us. Allow his words, his teaching to be in us every single day in our daily life. You know, you know we all have different gifts, right? You're not all going to sit here and teach. You're probably not going to teach the person in the cubicle next to you in the library, right? There's different gifts. There's administrator, there's evangelism, there's serving, there's hospitality, there's giving. And we have different temperaments. Some of us are extroverts, some of us are introverts. So it doesn't really matter the gifting. It doesn't matter the personality. Because there's one thing that we all have in common as followers of Christ. We've been given a new heart. A heart that's tender and sincere and genuinely cares for the spiritual welfare of the people in their lives. A heart that longs to see people draw closer to Jesus. That are willing to give time and their life on behalf of those on their path. You know, at school, work, club, neighborhood, home, there's nowhere we go, nothing we do where God does not want to be there through us. Okay, this is called incarnational theology, which basically means God came among us through Jesus, and now c God comes among us through us. So in order to do that and to do what I think God's been asking us to do, we need to get this. It's a simple message today. It was never God's intention that the good news be limited to these walls or to our weekly gathering with other Christians. He wants us to lead the world one person at a time to him. And as soon as we get this, we'll be doing and being what he wants us to be. You know, he talks about us being salt, right? He talks about us being light. 
And the fact is, if you put salt on tasteless meat, it's not tasteless anymore. You know, if you bring a light into a dark room, it's not dark anymore. And you guys, basically, we have the power to change the atmosphere wherever we be. Because we're salt and we're light. That's awesome. Okay, so leadership has got to be unto something. And Peter's call to Christian leadership, as practical as he is, is unto something. Remember we talked about submission. Remember we talked about submission for kind of a long time. And remember that submission was unto something. It wasn't just to have peace among the family, but it was unto something. Remember we talked about prayer being unto something. We talked about blessing those who curse us. It was unto something. It was so that their hearts would be softened by this genuine tender love that came out of us. And so Christian leadership is another strategic tool that Peter gives to us and is unto something. Now, many of us in this room have titles, right, as leaders. We have leadership positions in the world. And that may be one of your contexts, right, in outside of the church. And so many of you in this church have leadership roles in the church. And so God wants us to connect the dots and say, wherever you are, that's a context for God to use you as a leader. Remove the religiousness, remove that mindset, and be about seeing me everywhere and doing everywhere. So I want to ask you a question. Would it be acceptable if you found out that as pastor of this church, I did what I did because I had to. It was my job. Now, clearly, I have days where it's I have to. It's my job, right? <laughs> like, I got to take the Christmas decorations down. Okay? That's my job. I'm going to have to do that. Okay? Most of the times, even that, I enjoy doing. If I didn't, I wouldn't put them up, right? But what if you say to me, if you find out I had to do this on a daily basis, you think I would hear something like this, Clara, I think you're missing something. I, I think that God would not have put you in this position. If you were going to dread every single day, every single time, you had to pray for somebody or counsel somebody or go visit somebody or read your Bible, I'm thinking you're missing something really important. Right? Now, if it's not acceptable for me as pastor to continually feel like I have to do what I do because I have to and it is my job, why then... If the Lord has put you in the job that you're in, why is it acceptable for you to have that kind of attitude? About your job, about your home, about school. Isn't God with you when you're at school? Isn't God with you at work? Or does he not going to visit HEB and Jack in the Box today? Is he only in my study at my home? This phrase, not because you must, has relevancy for our personal life as a Christian leader. Verse 2, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. So just like it's not acceptable for me as pastor to do what I do because I must, it is my job, it's not acceptable for you all to do what you do because you have to and because you get a paycheck or you're going to get a grade at the end of the semester. I mean, is that what God really expects of us? Is that all he wants? 
to live a life of obligation and duties like a robot? No, I don't think so. I think there's a higher calling for us, friends. God wants us to enter into that zone where what we be and what we do is about God all the time. No voids, no misses. Not just when we gather as a church, not just a community group, not just at Haven for Hope. I don't believe I have to is all we can expect from the Holy Spirit. He wants us to experience a pastor's heart. A pastor's heart for the people in our lives. And as far as God is concerned, all of our relationships are to be unto something. Submission, prayer, leadership. They're all connected. And this little book of First Peter, very strategic, very evangelistic book, clearly gave us tips on how to be married to someone who's not a believer. He gave us tips on how to deal with an abusive boss. He gives us tips on how to honor our failing government and how to live in a lost, corrupt, crazy world. And now he teaches us how to be a leader. Because there's a lot of bad examples, like I said before, of leaders. Okay, interesting note. The word elder, the word shepherd, the word shepherd and pastor are the same word. Okay? And so the word shepherd is used for Abraham. Okay? Abraham never started a ministry. The word shepherd was used for Isaac. Isaac never was a pastor of a church. Jacob never wanted to be a missionary. The patriarchs of Israel were called shepherds. It's the same word used to describe Moses, who was a deliverer of God's people. It was the word used for David, who was beloved God, God-chosen king for his people. And it was the same word used for Jesus when he's called the good shepherd. Same word. Because our vocation does not define our purpose. Our careers, our titles, doctor, nurse, consultant, student, counselor, HR manager, whatever you guys do, pilot, it does not define us. It does not define our purpose. It's just the means by which we get to do what we're really supposed to be doing. God is saying that he wants all of us to walk in his purposes to reach the loss by leading, serving, guiding, caring, having a pastor's heart for them. Look, I can't even pastor my own family alone. I can't. Adrian, can you? Is there any parent here that feels they're adequately doing a good job of parenting their kids? No. I can't parent, I can't pastor, lead, care for this flock. It's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us with the pastor's heart to fulfill the purposes of God that he has for this church, for this community, for our family, for wherever we work. If someone's lost or confused or has an addiction or needs deliverance, needs to be healed, are you going to just call me? I may not answer the phone. It might be I'm silenced, you know. What are you going to do? And God's saying, well, why not you? Can I use you? Lori, can I use you? Can't God use you to pray for someone they'd be healed? Yeah, you, I mean, you could call me, and maybe my phone is 
available, but it may be that they might not like me being there when you need to pray for them. And he may need you to pray for them. So, did anybody hear Martha's announcement this morning? Sozo. Sozo healing. There's going to be a training this Friday night and Saturday at my house. I'm not doing the training. I'm getting an expert to do the training. I'm taking the class because I need to refresh your course. I need to be fine-tuned. I need to learn new things because I want to be about God's business wherever I am, and I need tools. And certain tools might work better for a mechanic than for my next-door neighbor. And so I want you to come. I'm inviting you. This is a personal invite. But you've got to let me know that you're coming because if there's more than 20 people, we're going to have to move it. Okay, and I don't, you know, so if it's in my house, it's comfortable. If it's more than 20, that's great. And li lately, these weekend workshops have been averaging about 20, 22 people. So it's been good. So RSVP, Facebook, email, tell me that you're coming. We'll be ready. And so you can be prepared to be a pastor where you are. Verse 2, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. So the word watch over them, you always got to throw in a Greek word, right? Is episkopos, which is a compound word. Two words put together to mean something. Kind of like a microscope, but this one's kind of like a telescope that enables you to see far off. Because in the first century, the shepherds, and before the first century, the shepherds would build these towers to look. So they could tell, oh, flash flood coming, oh, Tiger, lions, bears, oh my. And they could take care of their sheep. And we need to have that kind of perspective. And finally, Christian leaders need to be an example, verse 3. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples. I mean, the most powerful learning device is not a sermon. It's not a teaching series. It's not a book. It's a being. It's a person. Because we need to see our Christianity fleshed out with real blood and flesh to get it. And when we're Christian leaders and we, ch and we have a Christian, we have a position in our, our work, our school, or at home, and we choose not to boss people around, even though we have the right to do that, instead we have a life of humility and of service, it impacts people. And we are truly being an imitation, something worthy to imitate, like Christ. Now, you know, I have raised five daughters. And when they were little, it was really, really important. It's still important to me now, but it was really important when they were little to make sure that there was peace in our home. Okay, so when they started bickering, I got on top of it. And you guys, parents, it's a lot easier to do it the younger they are. As they get older, it gets a little bit more challenging. And so when they started acting unkind to each other, I, one of the things that passed my head was, what's, where did they learn to do that? Why, why are they like that? And it bothered me, and I would pray. Now, uh, one day, I was watching a, a movie with them, just when they were younger, and I think it was called Left Alone. And I remember the, within the first five minutes, we were bombarded, Home Alone. Okay, not Left Alone, Home Alone. Okay. We were bombarded, my... PowerPoint person knows better than I do. And we were bombarded with ugly, rebellious, sassy talk towards siblings and parents within the first five minutes. And I heard the Holy Spirit said, turn that off. Whoa. 
I turned it off, and he said to me, what you let your si kids see will affect them. Now, you can't protect them from everything, but you can at home. Children, youth, adults, we all imitate what we see. And I remember reasoning with the girls when I saw them speaking unkindly and trying to talk about talking kind to each other, being nice. I said, girls, have you ever seen your dad and I talk to each other the way you're talking with each other? Now, if they have, then this would not be a good <laughs> plan, okay? Have you ever seen me treat your dad or talk to him the way you're talking to your sister right now? And they started to laugh because they couldn't imagine mom telling daddy, you can't have that. Don't touch that. It's mine. <laughs> you're looking at me. <laughs> They're just laughing. You know, be an example. As leaders, we have authority over others. And we can choose to be like the world, or we can choose to be like God in our roles of leadership. You know, sometimes we want to compartmentalize our life. Okay, so you're a surgeon, and you're a really good brain surgeon, and you are definitely an adulterer. Now, if I needed brain surgery, and the adulterous gen genius brain surgeon was my choice, I probably would pick him, right? I, mean, I wouldn't want an incompetent, godly Christian surgeon working on my head, right? <laughs> you know, if you're a pilot, a 747 pilot, you want to know that the guy behind there is Adrian, who's a very competent and skilled pilot. But as a Christian leader, we cannot separate Christian from leader. They're together. They're together. They be who we are. And so we can't compartmentalize this. This is who we are and who we be. We're to imitate Jesus. And that's the message for today. And I feel like God wants to do something really exciting. As I've been praying about this morning's service, I felt the, over and over the word he said was ordination. That we're going to be ordained today. So stand up. It is time to step up to the next level of leadership in your life. And part of that stepping up is to put that word Christian in front of your title and never separate the two again. That they never be separated again, that they be together. And he wants to ordain you, empower you to do that. So if you want that, I know you already got you standing, but if you want that, then extend your hands like this or like this, whatever amount that you want. Like this, hit the person next to you. How much do you want? How much ordination, how much power, how much do you want to embrace? Jamie, you've got one hand. Make it count. Okay, let him ordain you and empower you to connect the two and never be asundered again. Okay, Holy Spirit, come. This was your message, this was your heart, this was your intent, and this is what you want for your church. Father, fill them. Fill them so that they know wherever they go, wherever they be, they are your leaders. They are your leaders, Father. They're your leadership moms. They're your leadership dads. They're your leadership students and teachers and doctors and nurses. I have not mentioned where you are, what you be, but put it now. Connect it, Lord. Connect it. 
Let it never be separated from them again. Father, may they know that today I was ordained by God. I was recognized by God and acknowledged by God. Not for what I've done, but what we're going to do together. So, Father, I, pray, I ask now you visit them. And this week, may your week at work, at school, at home be never the same. May you experience the empowering presence of God to be about his business. Fill them, Father. The kids are going back to school. Fill them, Father. Fill them, fill them, fill them, fill them. Father, ones are going back to work, fill them, Holy Spirit. Fill them. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you and we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. Okay. Look at each other and say, you are ordained. Would you say that to each other? That's right. I am ordained. Okay. Okay, that's good. Okay, next week we will finish the series, I promise. Be blessed. I love you. And we'll see you next week.